All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Sharice Cook. Sharice is a psychotherapist with over 19 years of professional experience. She works in private practice in London and is also an online educator through social media. Specialising in relationships, Sharice offers challenging, hard-hitting advice to anyone wanting more honest and authentic relationships. She wants to bring all the lessons learnt in the counselling room to a wider online audience so as many people as possible can benefit. Having started her career working in rehabs, Sharice loves working directly with people, challenging unhealthy beliefs and implementing healthy behaviours that bring about long-lasting change. She started her own treatment centre in 2006 and has been in private practice for over a decade. She works with individuals, couples and families on how to have truly loving relationships and understand each other better. Follow her on Instagram at Sharice Cook, all one word, or at TikTok at Charisse Cook Official or access her key teachings for free at www.charissecook.com I highly, highly recommend her inbox therapy sessions and now let's get to the interview Your your blog is sensational um, I've been reading it and learning about myself and learning about my mindset mm. figuring out so much your inbox therapy is life changing there's so much to get from this you know, your social media prompts, they're amazing. But for people who maybe don't recognize your name and they should be ashamed, right. how do you define who you are and how your sort of method, your training, your, you know, your um, therapy modality is different than a normal therapist? Hmm. I mean, it's taken me a while to realize that I am a little bit different um, because obviously I've been working for so long, I just do what I do. And so I don't think what I'm doing is particularly different. And, you know, there's so many amazing therapists out there. But my background is um, working in rehabs. And I used to work with families and I'd work with the recovering addicts. And I found that incredibly exciting and incredibly rich because Mm. I very quickly became the relationship kind of person because I was always talking to family members about the relationship with their loved ones or I was speaking to the patients about how to have more healthy less addictive relationships it just became something that all roads seem to lead back to that and rehabs are very practical places it's what do I do about my addiction so we're very practical and we give a lot of advice and we're very directive in how we work which isn't always the way therapy goes so I'm someone that really enjoys being very involved I give people advice I make suggestions it may not work for everyone but I enjoy 
the practicalities of life and relationships. And that makes me a little bit different because a lot of therapy is about exploration and feelings and reflection. And the way I work is I like to challenge people. I like to challenge myself and I like to sort of roll my sleeves up and get on with it with my clients. And I think we all appreciate that. No, it's, it's a great answer because I've used sort of talking therapy before, like CBT. Um, right. I bought books on NLP. I bought a book on is it EM, ESMR? MR? Um, EDMR. Uh, EMDR. It's a lot I'm of acronyms trying to time on it. And I find like that's the thing is a lot of these things are great, but if you don't sort of go in and have somebody on the ground level, you know, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to kind of get into it. And I suppose like re- like addiction, uh, you know, people, it's sort of similar to what we do with dating, you know, because you go back to the same sort of person, you keep being addicted to that emotional yeah. need and stuff. So there is a lot to it. I mean, I love just how deep and sort of like well covered your work is. You know, you cover a lot of like attachment styles. You mm-hmm. look at why people act the way, why we think the way, how it's linked to our parents, our childhood, etc. But people come to you with a lot of different issues. Now they would imagine it's quite unique to the person, but I'm assuming you see the same sort of problems. Mm. People always assume that if you come to therapy, you're already broken, you know, that you need mm-hmm. help. But I remember you saying in another interview, that's the best time to come before issues. Yeah. Do you see similar issues? And how do we break the stigma of therapy? How do we make mm-hmm. people realize it's a great thing to do? And especially with like, the likes with yourself. I mean, I do feel like the stigma is changing and I'm so happy about that. And I was reflecting on that the other day when, I was studying and deciding to go into this career 25 years ago it was kind of and it was kind of a random um, career choice it was sort of it wasn't this established thing that people are interested in now you know now everyone's talking about psychology in one way or another you know the psychology of sports and coaching and nutrition and being the best that you can be I feel like there's been this explosion in recent years and with Mm the sort of younger generations, there's this real interest and curiosity. And um, I love that. And um, it makes my career suddenly, I hope, kind of cool because, yeah, we're all interested about how we tick and and, and how we can be better. But in England, um, the stigma around couples work and relationship work, I think, really does endure. It's, um, it's something that people are very frightened of. And I can remember way back when, when I did my first therapy and my first relationship therapy, it is frightening. And that's just because we are so vulnerable in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we are also really defensive. So there's this sort of contradiction that I think happens which is we really want to connect with people we really want to learn about relationships and at the same time we really want to protect ourselves because it's such a daunting prospect of actually opening ourselves up to another human being and then when things are going wrong the vulnerability and the defensiveness is even greater so you know in the olden days the vast majority of people who sought couples therapy their relationship probably wouldn't survive because they left it too late. 
you know, as a relationship therapist, I have to be okay with relationships ending, although I do find it quite painful. People leave it too late. The best way to view therapy is like we we view the gym or we, you know, we view our sort of physical fitness. We want to be fit in our relationship. We want to be well. We want to be healthy. And that means starting and being healthy, not waiting until we're so, so broken and fed up that we've actually crossed a line long ago and we can't find our way back to each other. Because it, it was something that I noticed was like, I was always dating the same person. I was always having mm. the same drama. The Like I always seemed to, um, I kept struggling to figure out, was I like an avoidant personality? Like when I was going through your quizzes and I was thinking, that sort of fits me and that fits me. And mm-hmm. yeah, I do pick the same kind of people who always have an issue, who need to be helped. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, and it really opened up like that side of my personality of like, you start seeing behavior patterns, you see issues mm-hmm. that you maybe identify. How do you get somebody to start identifying the power, you know, to actually take back control of the relationships, but to be open and vulnerable and to do the the inner work, which is terrifying to a lot of people. How mm. do you start encouraging them to not just go, oh, it's all women's fault. Oh, it's the guy's fault. It's, you know, yeah. how do we take responsibility so we can actually get good results and not just repeat the same EastEnders storyline going forward is probably a good way of saying it. Well, you've just described all of us because we all do the same things and we all have our patterns. And um, I think that's one of my biggest messages is wake up in your own life, wake up to what you're doing because we are going to unconsciously just keep doing the same thing unless we really become aware and unless we sort of wake up. And you're right, it's far more comfortable for us to be in blame. You know, one of the most striking things I always notice when I'm working with people is this natural human drive to blame the other person. And yes, there's a lot of merit to what clients tell me the other person is doing wrong, but it's very, very hard for us to have insight into our own um, part in our patterns. And so... um, the first thing that actually I work on with with clients is I have to ascertain how robust they are because it takes robustness and it takes self-esteem for us to look at ourselves truthfully and be able to withstand the discomfort and the pain of genuinely looking at ourselves, looking at stuff that we might be doing wrong or, you know, things, things that we could be doing better. And if we are so... Um, sensitive and fragile that we're just going to collapse under that that's really important so the first thing that I always do with clients is really support them in feeling stronger giving them tools to feel stronger that they can handle you know difficult emotions little bit by little bit but also you know affirming them and pointing out that they're kind of positives and this is also what I do when I work with people when they come as part of a relationship is let's look at the strengths of the relationship. Let's look at the strengths of the individuals in it. So I think that's really important. Find out what your strengths are, focus on those. And then when you're really sure and feeling good about that, then let's look at our patterns. Let's look at what we're doing and really bring about a sort of a motivation and a willingness to really try to do things differently. It's, it's as adults, we're not good at doing things differently. 
but it's, oh, yes. it is something that we can strive to do as counterintuitive as it may feel. So do you think that's like why a lot of people repeat the same patterns that, you know, that we attribute, like because we learn through storytelling, we kind of add stories to things rather than just saying we're repeating that pattern because of, and then give a fact. We want to give a reason mm. that, you know, of I hadn't been for my mom being a, a bitch to her while she was younger, like when we were dating or you know, is that why things like the history workbook work so well? Because you actually get people to stop looking like immediately with the emotion and actually writing mm -hmm. down what happened and looking for patterns. And like you're saying, then working out from there. Is that the kind of things you do? Or do you come in and get them to write out like, like a SWOT analysis of the relationship? what's great, giving mm. gratitude, but also what's negative. Mm. How do you start incorporating these methods into, into your work? Yeah, I mean, what I really like, um, once we've established what the strengths are and where, where who we are as a person outside of our relationships, I think um, understanding patterns is really important because we are unconscious. We are unconscious in our lives. We have no awareness about what we are doing. But my big message is, is we have our patterns and we're going to go for who we go for. We're not just suddenly going to go, oh, I know that I go for these people that need rescuing and I'm never going to do that again now that I know that. It's deep in us. It's cellular. We are going to who who lands on our erotic radar is fixed in us, right? That's if it, that. Yeah. If only right? it was that easy not to. <laughs> Absolutely. So my my message always is, is don't beat yourself up. You're going to have your type. You're going to have your patterns. And my advice is just try to work within extremes. We can pick people that are extremely... Um, unwell or extremely bad for us or extremely fixed in how they are behaving and how things are and we've got nothing to work with then our work is to do things differently in the relationship so maybe there can be a little bit more movement and there can be something to grow with the other person if the other person is even 10 percent willing to grow that's when we've got something to genuinely work with and I really think um, we, what am I trying to say? That we are going to have our patterns and the best thing that we can do is notice the story, as you say, this narrative that we have. So you're on a date or you, you're with someone for a while and you notice some similar things happening and you're feeling some similar things. And then the road kind of parts for us and we can sort of do what we've always done and just carry on and do all the familiar unconscious behaviors. Or we can start doing something different. And that means often thinking differently about it, noticing the story we are telling ourselves, noticing what we expect and noticing how we are behaving in ways that are going to perpetuate it. So what can we do differently notice when we're telling ourselves a story of a here we go again or poor me I've I've got this difficult thing or god why do I always choose these people that are so stunted in their emotional development or whatever we that is a moment of opportunity for us of like okay what would I normally do how can I do something different how can I stand up for myself 
How can I communicate when normally I would keep quiet? Or how, or how can I keep quiet when I'm normally explosive and shouting and kind of blaming? How can I do something different? And then maybe something different might be possible. And then I'm creating on a daily basis something new, something different that can grow possibly into something that's less extreme to my normal patterns. That's a great answer because I really liked in like some of your blog posts how you showed how people of two different personality types sort of would come together to almost create a like to create an an entity, you know, like how they worked off each other, and it made a lot of sense why mm. when I looked at previous partners, I thought, oh, so that's why they were like that, and that's why we got on so well, and that's why we didn't I didn't click with that partner so much. Is that why you say it's so important to understand our past that we have to know why these things come, you know, because do you think like a lot, I see a lot of men now talking about oh, they're fed up a day they're not, they've given up on it. They're not going to do, they were fed mm -hmm. up of it, you know, online dating. Is it because we live in a world of instant gratification that there's this belief you have to be married at 30 kids by 40 that because we're not looking at the past, mm -hmm we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. So it's almost like you think, well, what's a bother trying? Because mm -hmm. you're present, you're not dealing with the past to make the present better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're all, I think we're all playing out our past in different ways. That is inevitable. And, but I also think that right now in our world with our modern dating, shall we say, we are kind of pioneers you know we've we we don't have anyone that's come before us in this way of the world of having seemingly so much choice or people you know connecting digitally in a way that we never have before or having pornography available the way it is online it's kind of hmm. how we view relationships is changing and I think it's really interesting I think they're going to be some major relational shifts in in the decades to come I think that people aren't going to marry much more I think people are going to have relationships at different phases of their lives you know I think we have an exciting time ahead of us in terms of things shifting and changing to sort of meet our much more uh, exacting wishes and high expectations that we have of our lives and what we expect and what we want from them um, but we're still kind of trapped in quite a conventional way of living and having relationships where if we want to have a family, if we want to sort of settle down, if we need the security of some sort of nuclear family or whatever for financial reasons or whatever it might be. So these two things are kind of really, really clashing. And I think there are a lot of people that are slipping through the cracks because these two things are happening and they don't support each other. They actually get in each other's way. So, yes, I, I want us to be really open to having new kinds of relationships that mm. are unconventional or strange or not the norm, but that are certainly possible now. But I also want us working on our own stuff because whatever relationships we have, we need to know the baggage that we're bringing and that is what trips people up. You know, I've worked with all kinds of people from all walks of life, having all kinds of relationships. And it actually doesn't even matter how complex their lives are or that how stressful things are, that what they're dealing with, the things that trip them up are their lack of awareness of themselves and their own behaviors and their own thoughts and beliefs around relationships. It's 
it's incredibly powerful to sort of observe that over and over. And I think um, I think we all do the same things. For me, it's the human condition. We all do the same things in relationships. We all want love. We're primates. We're animals. And we all do very predictable behaviors when things aren't going the way that we want or we're, or we're hurt or we're in pain. Because that's definitely something I was noticing was, you know, people are talking about like, oh, I'm, I met so-and-so on Tinder or, you know, I'm polyamorous or I'm doing mm-hmm. this or that. And then they came from a family where, you know, it was men and women dated. You had kids, you got in, you got bought a house, you cut, you know, and it was that kind of like the family dynamic, the societal pressures, the religious mm-hmm. beliefs of the family that you were raised in compared to how a lot of kids now like I work with PhD students and you have people who that's the first time they've allowed to be become themselves. Yeah. Because you know, they're away from that family dynamic, the pressures. Mm. How how do you think does that cause a lot of issues with people nowadays where you know, are they more more attuned to causing fights because they're trying to juggle the conflicting demands of family mm. pressure? Like how are we shaped by our families, by society and things like that? Hmm. Well, I think that's where a clash is is happening a little bit because I think certainly with the, um, the people that I work with, something that I notice trends that are sort of happening are people's sort of attitudes towards sex, for example. So, you know, we come from quite a conventional previous generations where, you know, sex was was sort of happening in a relationship or out of a relationship, whereas now, as you say, we can have multiple sexual partners all at the same time and we are kind of society and particularly um, sort of Western societies, and I know this happens a lot in London, we're given a lot of permission to be having all kinds of sexual experiences. And that is going to have ramifications on our desires and motivation to commit to one person, which is a sort of conventional norm. Hmm. And so I, I definitely notice this sort of, there's a there's a there's a boundarylessness in some ways to life now where kind of anything can happen and when people are single they can feel very lost they can feel very like alone in this busy world and sort of struggling to find the place that's right for them and that's because there's so much going on now there's so much that we're being told that we can do and we can experiment with and we should try and we deserve and we're entitled to. And I think that that does cause problems because we are getting more and more individualistic in our attitudes. We are really interested in ourselves. We're very interested in our lives and having the best life we possibly can and having experiences and really wanting the best for ourselves we're not very group oriented. We're not very relational in how we approach life anymore. You know, we don't completely value relationships and being together and sacrifice and compromise and the things that relationships require from us. I think we're getting, mm. we're losing our way a little bit with that. You know, when relationships are too difficult or too challenging, people are just ending relationships and leaving. And that's, that's definitely something that I think is clashing and causing problems is kind of sticking it out, doing the hard work of getting to know someone and loving someone isn't something that people are really interested in moving forward. I mean, does that sound yeah. sort of, does that resonate with you, what I'm saying? Can oh, you yes. recognize that? 
I mean, I can remember dating people, and it's like you mentioned one of your blog posts where they would come in and they, you know, they, you were the best thing since sliced bread. But the second the yeah. the sheen wore off, it was amazing how quickly they would just say, "Oh no," and they would give you some fake, you know, yeah. thing. Oh, it's not you, it's me. It's uh, you know, as soon as they had lost that appeal and it was on to the next thing, it was like the mm. kid with the shiny toy. And yeah. that's something I definitely I, I struggle with because mm. there's that thing of you're broken if you're single, especially a certain yeah. after a certain age. And that people would turn to you and say things like, Oh, I'm sure you'll meet somebody soon. And you're thinking, Well, yeah. what the what's the difference between me? You know, like yeah. should I go and date somebody that I'm not happy with just to yeah. fill a societal belief that you know and i mean that thing of like you've mentioned in other uh, posts and interviews where the first relationship you should have is with yourself now i've struggled mm. with like self-image i know i've had mental illness i've had people who who really struggle with self-love at times you know they have this like prison they carry around this kind of negative voice i deal with intrusive thoughts and things like that mm. i know people who don't want to go outside and stuff and to be told that you're not complete without somebody mm. or when you start dating somebody and they want to go yeah okay i'm going to go off to the next person because yeah. they look better or they're a bad boy or you know and it's mm. difficult to i don't know to for your identity yeah in the world you know yeah. especially when people are kind of not wanting to commit to relationships like you're mentioning how do we start learning to love ourselves before we start even thinking about learning loving somebody else and creating a life together how do you start working with somebody to build their i don't know like their own sense of self their own sense of worth to stop then per, you know perpetuating the same mistakes later on i know it's a kind of a waffly question but if that makes sense mm. No, it absolutely does. And it's kind of, the you know, the psychologist in me is sort of intrigued and always interested by this because I do think, again, it's it's sort of difficult for us. If you think about where we come from, you know, from tribes and from villages, it's kind of we're not meant to be living alone or doing life alone, but more yeah. and more that's what's happening in our society. And as you rightly say, there can be a sort of, a weird negativity around that or a pity of people like that. Oh, which, yes. Which is, which is, which every is wedding. Really... <laughs> well, if you come and hang out in my office, everyone will be jealous of your singledom <laughs> because in relationships, people are like, I just want to be single again. You know, I think it's so easy. You know, we can, you know, I've got single clients who are desperate to be in a relationship. <laughs> I've got married clients who would give anything to be single again. It's, it's also very same easy fantasy. It's what you want. You always want the grass. You always want to play in the, yeah. the grass on the other side. It's like we always want what the other person has, not realizing that they have just as many problems because of it. It's yeah. so for for single clients. Do you see uh, like that kind of a self image issue that they arise with? Why you know mm -hmm. do they have a reason why they see themselves as single? I think I think it's different for everyone. I think if there are people, I think what I see is that there are people who really want to be in a relationship and there's a real grief that occurs as they watch friends 
moving in together, starting a family, buying a home together, doing these kind of, you know, landmark life moments, Hmm. that can bring up a lot of grief and a lot of pain. And obviously, if someone wants to start um, a family and my client is, is a woman, there's a lot of ramifications to not having that in your life and questions you need to ask yourself about what you want to do. So I think that's a very, very painful thing to juggle What's more interesting in, in, in some ways is when there's almost a little bit of ambivalence of, well, you know, we are okay on our own and we don't know if we want relationships. And um, as we were saying earlier about how people are so um, easily put off nowadays or, you know, they're looking for the perfect package or whatever it is, yeah. um, there's actually a lot of research to show that you know, the longer we're single, the more kind of um, unrealistic our expectations are of, of what we want from another person. You know, people who've been in long-term mm. relationships, so we're quite jaded and realistic <laughs> about what to expect from each other, you know. I've heard that Whereas... from my mother. She's like, you need to be, <laughs> you need to level down on the people you're selecting. And I was like, thanks, mom. Look, I'm not saying lower your expectations and all these annoying things that, that, that people say, but it's just, it is an interesting phenomenon that mm. because we, because, it's, because we can also get very hurt as we are single or we're not in long-term relationships. If Definitely. that's what we want, I always work with my clients around really pushing back against, you know, the bitterness, the cynicism, you know, the, the things that we use to keep ourselves protected you know, is um, these walls aren't helpful. You know, we, you know, in relationships, outside of relationships, we all have to work quite hard at not letting the walls come up because to, um, to your point about, you know, how do you define or create a sense of self or an identity as a single person? I do think, you know, the answer is people. And even so, if we, if we don't have a romantic partner and we don't have that kind of, sort of tribe, if you like, I do think we need another tribe. I think it's dangerous to sort of, um, we can become quite reclusive within our sort of um, singleness. It can become an aloneness in the world and we're not alone in the world. And so I always encourage my clients to, to find people and to keep finding people that can be part of our world and can be part of our community because we need people. People need people, but in many different capacities. So having love, having care, having acceptance comes in many different forms. But again, the way our society is a little bit, people can, you know, at a certain age start moving away and getting married or going down traditional routes and we can become more and more isolated and we don't sort of, recognize our need to keep our lives big and to keep our worlds big and and meet new people and put ourselves out there in new ways just to make friends just to be part of the world and I think that's what really helps us have a sense of identity it's another kind of paradox is I am who I am because of the world that I live in and because of the community that I'm in Mm. I think that's that's an important part of being human because it's probably something I'm experiencing now that a lot of my friends of my, like my age, you know, sort of 35 to 40 plus, they're at that stage where, you know, they are getting married or they've maybe settled with somebody that's maybe not right for them, but they feel it's the way to be done. And okay. um, you're, you start moving away from 
people you know because because we live in this online world where most of the time it's you only get a message on social media on your birthday you know you barely speak to that person the whole year round it's difficult because we're not in the the play groups we had as kids where you were kind of Mm. you knew everybody and you went and played together outside school now as adults you know work comes in the you don't have to go and do things so you you can become reclusive and i've definitely noticed that myself where i've kind of lost touch with a lot of friends and it's difficult to then go and find like a meetup group for example Mm -hmm. you know like oh i like archery i like this i like that and it's yeah okay go do it and people are like oh no no and they'll sit and watch tv and i think it's difficult in today's society to to find your tribe i like i really like the idea of of going out and finding people to give you that stability the to give you that identity so you don't feel like you know i've got friends who completely change when they have partners Mm-hmm. because it it's becomes them you know it's all they can do is with their partner where they suffocate them because mm-hmm. to them they they're only complete when they have a partner it's a hole they need mm-hmm. to fill and i find that quite funny that you won't hear from that person for six months till they split up and then suddenly they want to come mm-hmm. back because they need they can't be on their own they can't take the time to to regress and just learn from it uh, that's something I definitely struggle with. I mean, a big thing I have just now is my ex girl, one of my ex girlfriends from, oh God, must have been about 10 years ago. I use her as a benchmark because she gave me the initial highs. It was, you know, it wasn't the first person I had sex with. It wasn't, but it was my first love. It was the first of a lot of things after a really bad relationship. And I use her mm. now as a benchmark for all potential people. Now, the problem mm. is, they never get a chance to prove that they can give you those highs or better highs because you're basing them off what you knew before. Is that based on my personality type? Like I'm a, like an avoidant this or I'm a this type of attachment personality mm. that I, you know, I'm, is there a reason that we do this where we can't move on from ex-girlfriends where we use them as like a, a benchmark for future relationships? Mm, definitely. I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, people with more of an avoidant attachment, I think, can sometimes struggle to move on from mm. previous relationships. And, but, you know, when you say that, I sort of immediately wonder and am interested in about, you know, whenever we think about our behavior, it's, it's, it's useful to think about what is this behavior doing for me? Is this behavior helping me move forward? Is it holding me back? Is it keeping me safe? You know, we do things. Our behavior is actually very symbolic. It isn't sort of very literal. So I think there is something important about questioning what is the purpose of this comparison. On the face of it, it could be something really positive in that you had a great experience with someone and had a great uplifting um relationship with them and that's something that you want and that's 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 fair enough but it's great that you can recognize that you're not giving other people a chance Mm. or you know opening your heart enough to experiencing that kind of a high or a different kind of a high because don't forget you are a different person now who you were then was in then you're different now 
And of course, she'll be different now. But And the relationship that was possible back then is going to be different to the relationships that are possible now. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to bring a lot more maturity and care and empathy and, you know, everything that we get as we get older, hopefully with a bit of experience into your relationships now. Whereas when we're younger, we are carefree and we do have these um, quite exciting liaisons that might have been really wonderful at the time, but may not have been hugely sustaining or nurturing in the medium to long term for us. So, you know, this could be an opportunity for you to reflect on what it is that you want right now and what you want for your future relationships, because it feels like you and maybe your body is stuck in a, in a moment where the, the feelings were so pleasurable and so compelling that you're confusing that for who you are now and the life that you're in now. And it's kind of stopping you being able to really give fully to someone else or even try with someone else. Does that That make sense? That's a brilliant answer because it made so much sense because when I was initially there, I'd be thinking, they just don't match to her. You know, I'm not feeling the Mm -hmm. spark. You know, I have friends who've come out relationships and people have said, oh, he, you know, his ex did a number on him. And, you know, they're kind of like, okay, but we don't, as guys, I find a lot of, we don't have an option to go and speak to somebody. It's rare to kind of move on from a, a you know, a breakup because you don't really have somebody that you can come up to and be emotional, to, to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. say, I'm really struggling. I mean, I put it down to my depression, to intrusive thoughts. I put it down to, oh, I'm just, it's rumination. If I looked up OC, um, POCD, I looked up. So I was trying to find a justification for it rather than, mm-hmm. am I not learning a lesson from this? Is this going to keep coming back till I realize what it is? And I really like that about your history workbook because I could stop and start thinking, so what am I, what should I need to learn from this? Do you think that's a thing of like people struggle? We automatically fall into these behavioral patterns without rising above it, without being able to see, oh, wait, that's my behavioral pattern. I need to work on that. Oh, I am shouting at my partner because of this. I was so had to be confrontational in my previous relationships. You know, how do we start rising, you know, being the mountain and rising above the clouds? Um, I'm trying to think who said it in an interview where think of your thoughts as clouds and you're the mountain, just let them drift past. But how do we emotionally regulate and control ourselves Mm -hmm. so we can observe rather than just react? Yeah, I mean, there's so much of relationship therapy that kind of boils down to that because the reactivity that we have in the relationship and whenever there's sort of something happening, We get so caught up so quickly and it feels so real. It feels so justified for us to be upset or be hurt or, you know, fight back or whatever it might be. So, yes, emotional regulation is key for our happiness and it's key for staying present in the reality and not just falling back into our endless, inevitable, unconscious memories from the past or associations from the past. And I think what, you know, emotional regulation is a highly personal thing. Different things work for different people. Mm. So I've got some clients when I'm working with them, um, 
one person needs to stand up and start walking around and just breathing and feeling their feet on the ground and, you know, just really physiologically just really helping themselves. I've got other clients who really need their partner just to touch them, have their hand on the shoulder or the arm, and for us all to just sit in, in, in sort of silence and for the partner to really, you know, who's helping to really not be emanating resentment and rage, to just try to be neutral, that mm. calms the nervous system down. I think, but before all of that has to be a, a very large dose of humility to recognize I'm feeling really worked up right now. And it's almost like the more righteous we feel, the more we feel we are in the right, the more we need to just try to pause, have that maturity to be like, okay, hold on. I'm really feeling powerful right now. And I'm really wanting to get my teeth stuck into this, but I I need to have maturity here of just being able to take a moment and to just allow some thinking to come in for some, Mm. you know, right brain, left brain work to happen where we can bring in a bit of rationality and questioning to be like, is this helpful? Is this going to really get me what I want? What do I want? I want a loving relationship. Is this conversation going to help me get a loving relationship? Is what I'm saying and how I'm acting going to help me stay loving and be loving and elicit love? You know, it's, it's a very big theme for me I talk about it a lot which is accountability in our relationships we're so keen to be focusing on the other person and wanting to hold them to account developing the very rare muscle of being accountable ourselves I think is really really challenging because I think truth be told none of us think that we need to you know we think we know what we're doing in in relationships and that's what I say it's it's humbling to recognize no we don't we literally every day have to start anew and be thinking about what we're doing and not just doing what we think is right, really questioning what we're doing and intentionally choosing to do behaviors and speak in a way that's going to help us get us what we want, not just what we feel like we we want to do. That we, that we need to avoid, actually. That makes a lot of sense because I remember you talking about how relationships are about teaching the other person how to love each other. And I always liked how people would say it's them. You know, it's you're so like if you if something bats up against us or we don't like it's you know, people say, well, whatever you see that you don't like in another person is probably a reflection of something in your own personality that you don't like. Mm -hmm. And you know, we immediately go, It's their fault, it's their issue. And I really like Mm -hmm. the idea of actually showing going this is where I struggle, this is what I need help with, but also understanding yourself mm-hmm. enough that you can explain why you react the way you are and not just fall into mm-hmm. the shouting matches yeah. and the things. And you have such a unique gift of writing that out and explaining it that you kind of go, wow. <laughs> but when when these moments happen, I mean, I can sometimes catch myself and go, okay, take a couple mm-hmm. of breaths, go for a walk, etc. Is there a, a way that you teach people to come and emotionally ground themselves? Is it a good idea to, you know, like do box breathing or the second you start feeling the tightness in the chest to kind of go, no, no, I'm going into one of these patterns. Like, and then like you're saying, go for a walk or mm-hmm. speak to your partner or, you know, take a couple steps away till you can feel the anger or the, the emotion disassociate and then go back into the conversation. Is there a method you teach your clients? 
I think, yeah, I mean, I, I like to be creative and do things that surprise people or kind of derail the sort of tangent that people are on. So I think anything that interrupts that is good. So I'll get people to stand up and do jumping jacks or, you know, okay. sort of swap chairs or, mm. you know, lie down on the floor and have the conversation while they're lying down, you know, anything to sort of, again, bring something new in because these are such well-worn neuropathways in our brain, you know, that it's like, it's like the M25 of our brain has, you know, all roads are going to come back to that. And we're mm. here in therapy just trying to create like a little garden path of new behavior. It's, it's, it's really, really hard, but yeah, I love breathing. And I think one of, um, one of the best um, techniques that I will suggest and that I'll work with when I'm working with um, more than one person is you can't immediately respond. So first of all, the ground rule is be respectful in what you say, be emotional, be angry, be upset, but be respectful. And again, like, well, that's interesting. How do I do that? So that's already a learning. And then you can't just come back. You can't interrupt. You can't talk over. Everyone needs to pause before responding because I want people to respond rather than react. So sometimes, you know, when I when I will first have clients in, there'll be the tennis match of insults and one-upmanship and put-downs and everything, and we'll go, okay, well, that looks like, you know, fun. Do you want to carry on like that or shall we try try do something else? And then we do that thing where we then learn what it is to emotionally regulate and to sit with discomfort and for our bodies to sort of be regulated and calmed within that so one person will speak respectfully and then there's a pause and we can do box breathing I like four seven eight breathing I always recommend that but whatever breathing you want to do you might do a very quick body scan or whatever and then you respond and so we slow things down I think the slower we can be with each other, the better. And that's very challenging for me because I'm I'm quite a fast talker and whatever. So slowing down and and sometimes feeling, you know, feeling the feelings, feeling the anger, feeling the frustration. It's it's healthy for us to do that. It's healthy for us to learn to sit with with feelings and to again develop this robustness where we can, okay, we can tolerate this. It's not fun. It's not nice, but I am an adult. I can do this. And let me just think about what you said. And then when I feel ready, I will respond. And and because we're just sitting here and taking our time, I can also sort of trust that as I respond, my partner is going to listen to me because they're going to have to pause and then respond to what I've just said. And then suddenly this thing of trust also begins to build because something I observe with clients when they are arguing or going through conflict is the trust immediately goes and we sort of begin arguing in the hope of regaining trust and that probably isn't going to happen whereas slowing things down pausing and then creating this very gentle exchange sometimes with very big emotions and on very difficult subjects I don't know, it creates a very cool atmosphere of respect and time and value and trust. And that, for me, goes a very long way. Well, that's, that's an awesome answer because somebody once said to me, is, um, I think it was on Instagram, to treat yourself like somebody you loved. You know, you wouldn't speak to, you wouldn't let your inner critic speak to yourself the way you do it. And then as I started thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, it's a lot like a friendship. 
you know, you wouldn't talk to a friend the way you talk to yourself, but a lot of times people talk to their partner. Is it yeah. that, you know, that we've tie up so much emotion into it, you know, that you have sex with this person, that you have, mm. you give your life to this person, you, you know, that you shine a light in all your dark corners and stuff so that we should, it's like that power of treating them with respect uh, that you mentioned mm. in my articles, that we actually get a chance to, treat them like a friend first then treat them as a partner you know treat them yeah. as somebody that you respect is that the kind of idea to to remove you know like you're saying you can be emotional but you have to be respectful mm -hmm. you have to give them the respect and once we kind of realize that we don't have the right to say exactly what we think but we have to say it respectfully is that the kind of idea behind it to treat them like a friend mm. as much as a lover, as a partner, et cetera? Definitely. Definitely. And I think definitely because I believe the friendship is the most important thing. And so many people say, well, I married my best friend or my partner's my best friend. And, and I think that that's true. And maybe I think a really good word, you know, similar to that is the word friendly. Mm. I think let's just try to be friendly to each other. You know, we can we can be good friends and we can have friendship, but I think something that sort of guides our behavior is, is, is this friendly? Am I being quite friendly right now? But, you know, I really, um, I, I really want to acknowledge as well that our intimate relationships are our most, um, you know, all-consuming, you know, even with our great friendships, we don't see them as much as we see our partners and we don't mm. generally live with them and we're not generally tackling life in the same way with our friends as we do with our partners. So there's a lot of pressure on these kind of home relationships or intimate relationships and it is hard and I think that's where the challenge comes in. It's the day in, day outness of our really close relationships that that wear on us and so friendship and respect and you know politeness and all of that it is difficult to sustain and it is annoying and frustrating living with people and people are going to be really irritating I think let's be realistic about yeah. it but that's why it's useful to just at least have this understanding of we can very quickly slip into ways of relating that aren't sexy that aren't friendly and is probably going to negatively impact your relationship in some way. I think it's good to try to bring your A game at all times. You know, again, it is that thing that at the beginning of the relationship, everyone's trying to be perfect and everyone's being so cool and understanding. And, you know, I will challenge my clients sometimes and I'd say, well, what would you do if you just met this person? And, or you were three months in when you would rush out at sort of 10 o'clock at night to go and get something for them or go out of your way to do something or really take care of your appearance. What's changed? Why is this person who you are still having sex with, who's still part of your life, is what the most important person in your world? Why, why is that lessened, I wonder? And that's not a reproach, but it's just something to think about in terms of where we put our energy and where we put our priorities. Because you definitely see that, don't you, as people kind of like – the, they talk to the partner in a way and you're, you kind of sit there and stunned and you're like, that's not the person I know. And it's like you're saying, it's because you have this deep emotional connection to that person that we almost sometimes forget 
that it is actually the most important person or you know we're mm, working towards yeah. it something i struggle with is when i start a relationship i want to i don't know is it like a love language like i want to do things for the person i want to help out mm. i want to go and do stuff and you know like i feel like the connection straight away and i sometimes think i come on too strong how do we avoid that kind of building the connection but becoming too emotionally coming on too emotional probably mm. before because you know before you understand the person i mean i know you've got you've got great ways of descri- describing how a person is and why they act that way and stuff like that so as we're learning that how do we avoid you know becoming too emotional connected but in a, or acting in a way that goes against their personality type where mm. we kind of scare them off because i think i've like I'm in a date and I think, oh, this is going amazing. And at the end she texts and goes, I just didn't feel it. And that destroys me because I, I've already started thinking, oh, I want to take her here. I want to show her this. I want to, because I start building a life probably in my head mm-hmm. because I'm probably at that point of feeling that loneliness. How, yeah. how do people like that avoid, I don't know, like fucking up a, a date, fucking up a relationship? <laughs> Because, you know, because you instead of just enjoying it, we start building a life for them where they're not the other mm-hmm. person's maybe not ready for it. Well, I think, first of all, I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I don't want that to sort of become something that you resist or demonize or kind mm-hmm. of think is some kind of a problem. But what I would say is... I would love it for you to um, let people earn that from you rather than you just automatically giving it. That makes a lot of sense. Is that why you so, like, we feel the anxiety as well in our when relationship? When you are out with someone, if you are wanting to do certain things, I would suggest to sort of resist that. I would, I would suggest being about 30 or 40% how you want to be. And allow a relationship to unfold. Allow someone to show you who they are. And you're showing a little bit of who you are. But, you know, I think it takes months and months to get to know people. And once we really know people and we've shown 30 to 40% of that part of us and our heart and that vulnerability, then if they've earned it, then we can really show more. And and also what I would want to challenge you on is for you to ask for more. Because sometimes when we are very giving in our relationships, we're often giving what we would like to receive, Mm. but we're more comfortable giving. It's sort of, it's an interesting thing that we do. So I don't want you to stop being a wonderful giver. And that's so important. And it's such an amazing trait, especially for a man. So hold on to that, but save it for someone when they've earned it. And challenge yourself to also ask for and make requests for some of the stuff that you probably so generously give others. Sort of allow people to step in and be there for you in ways you're probably automatically there for them. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest, 
and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. And how then do we take people who are struggling with like emotion, you know, like, you know, maybe they've started being a bit more controlled in how much they give in a relationship. But when they start feeling jealousy, when they start feeling sort of negative emotions, you know, that their, their partner's fl- a bit flirty with a waiter, they're mm-hmm. with a guy from work or something, you know, we st- are there red flags that we can notice? Are these things, our personality type coming out, that these are behaviors coming from original relationships and that we need to catch them mm-hmm. before we then skate off the next person? Or are these red flags justifiable? Is it, can we create red flags because each person is a unique person and a unique mm-hmm. relationship? How, how do we start working out what's good, what's going wrong, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Well, I think these old-fashioned things like respect and like um, patience and um, reciprocity and, you know, values are really, really good guides because it is dependent. You know, some people are very extrovert and playful and flirty and it's not a problem for their partner. There's still a strong sense of trust, whereas for someone else that might feel hugely threatening and disrespectful. So I think... That is kind of your guide about, you know, how how am I feeling as this relationship progresses? Am I feeling respected? Am I feeling safe? Am I feeling trusting? Because we do have a, have a lot of instincts. And I think the, the safety one is really important because that's very, very key to our attachments. How safe do we feel with someone? And if their behavior is giving us cause for concern, we can ask ourselves, Am I, am I fundamentally feeling unsafe here? Is this feeling scary and it's threatening my trust and it feels disrespectful? Or am I actually being hypervigilant and I'm looking for faults and flaws, which I know I can do? Um, am I sort of noticing the good as well as the bad? You know, we can sort of challenge ourselves to bring in both because, Again, if we know our patterns, we know that we can be we can be fault finding, or we might know that yes, we do go for people who can be very disrespectful. So we do need to be on the lookout, and we can challenge ourselves to then be more assertive and stand up for ourselves and mm. and help get the behavior that we want. I think the whole red flag thing is important because there really are some non-negotiables and things that are very uncool and just not okay. And then there's also just, I think, space for us to be human and to do that thing like you mentioned earlier, which is teach each other what we need, teach each other what we want. And so, you know, it takes two people or more a very long time to learn about what it is like and learn about what it is to be in relationship. And so I think doing the difficult thing of being assertive rather than either passive and just allowing stuff to, you know, cruise by and people please or being aggressive and like laying down the law and kind of, you know, really, you know, really, really reading someone. We can be assertive all the time, say what we want, say what we feel, say what we would prefer, say when we're uncomfortable. Those things are challenging and that's probably going to help us to grow. So that would always be my suggestion is question 
what what is going on and what is the way you need to respond best for yourself and would that be something that you would raise like you know not at the restaurant or something but you know would you do that away from the bedroom or you know would you ask the person to journal to to write out how it made them feel so they could actually look at it you know am i making this because it's something i i struggle with from previous relationships you know or to understand it or would you approach your part like how should we bring up something to uh, you know to them that's maybe a giant thing but they don't realize it's a, mm. they think it's a small thing how do we know like should we journal these situations and mm. then bring it at a, an agreed time so we can discuss these things as a couple definitely i mean i think it's actually really useful to unless something really incredibly unpleasant and difficult is kind of happening in the moment. I think it's a really, really great thing to come back to things if we possibly can. And some people can't, and that's completely fine. But again, it's a great discipline to be able to go away and really think about what is it that I do want to say and what is this touching in me and why is this important or whatever. So to be able to, to sort of go to your partner a day or two later and say, you know what, I actually felt quite uncomfortable the other day when this thing happened or actually, you know, I had such a great evening, but this thing that you said really has stayed with me and I'm a bit confused. Could you explain it or whatever, you know, it allows us to be calm. And I think that that's really important. So it isn't kind of, it doesn't need to become a huge drama in the moment. Um, But something I sort of definitely suggest to my clients when they're established within the relationship is to have like a relationship meeting (laughs) and to have a meeting every week or every fortnight where it's a little bit of a air clear, but it's also an opportunity to say really positive things because again, that's also something that we forget to do and we don't do enough of. And for a lot of people, you know, the love language words of affirmation is one of the most popular love languages. And so it is an opportunity to talk about the good stuff, to sort of say something that you loved, you know, that happened in a week when you thought your partner looked really great or something you really appreciated. And this other thing was just a little bit annoying. Do you remember when this happened? And so it creates kind of a safe space to bring stuff that um, where you both are sort of committed to working on it. It's sort of we can, you know, you create safety around it and say, you know, no one's allowed to take things personally. No one's allowed to be defensive. You know, everything's said with love. It's about growing. And so it becomes this, this, this sort of really nice, safe place where we can talk about difficult things. And it's only we can have a time limit on it. It's not going to last longer than 20 minutes. But it gives space to stuff that's important in a relationship and it allows us to stay on top of things. It's not a moment to whinge and whine. It's a moment to be constructive and really keep growing and keep learning about each other. I think mm. it's useful to have that boundary because sometimes if it's late at night or we're busy or we're stressed or, we're, you know, we're not expecting it and our partner suddenly comes at us with something, you know, it can escalate and maybe it doesn't have the right boundaries around it. So I do always recommend that. I think that's a great practice to do. That's I love that because – it, you know people who get these sort of anxious feelings about a relationship, you know, that we're, we're drifting apart and they don't have a way of communicating without it turning into a fight. And I really like that idea of actually an agreed time, a safe space that yeah. you have set rules. You can't just go in and go, well, you said that. Yeah. Well, you said, you know, and it, 
because it's like this emotional yeah. defense that you always see the other person as the bad guy it's never your fault it's always them that has done something mm. and taking away that emotion taking away that drama like you say i haven't i love that idea it's because how many people do you see having like proper screaming matches and yeah. like when they're out with friends because Absolutely. something's yeah. clicked off i mean i've yeah seen plenty of friends and I put up a lot of crap in relationships because I didn't want to bring something at the time. Mm. And you almost wonder then, do you carry that into the next relationship? That as soon as you mm. see that behavior, you then sabotage it because you think, yeah. I'm not letting them do that, where it's maybe yeah. completely different dynamics. What other sort of yeah. things can relationships do to to keep healthy? You know, is there any other sort of communication yeah. methods we can sort of implement? Well, I think just learning to communicate with with a bit of care and with a bit of, you know, keeping our, ourselves really focused on being constructive, because you're right, we can develop so many bad habits from previous relationships. And those are habits that we will then absolutely take into our next relationship, or we get inevitably hurt or wounded in previous relationships, and then we've got all this extra stuff that, that we're bringing with us. So you know, as life goes on, it you know, life doesn't get easier. It doesn't get simpler. It doesn't get sort of um, less frightening. It becomes more and more challenging because we've lived more of life and life is challenging. So I think, yeah, the, the relationship meeting is good because it allows us to stay on top of things and it doesn't allow us to bury our head in the sand. We're sort of everyone kind of in a way has to speak up, but because it's safe, that that's what really heals us is creating safety in our relationships and that then extends to as well how we do communicate with one another so I'm very keen on like learning phrases you know ways to start saying things or ways to address each other and I always am also very encouraging of flirting and playfulness in relationships because I want those to become the new habits you know the sort of mm. The old habits are habits that we've, you know, learned from previous relationships and also the habits that were modeled to us by our parents who, you know, probably weren't sort of super passionate, flirty, fun, you know, exciting, you know, relationships probably. We can we can observe, you know, ways of communicating with our parents that aren't always healthy as well. So we've got a lot to be sort of pushing against, trying to do things a little bit better in our in our lives and I certainly notice uh, when I'm working with with clients they have lost the ability to really share what is going on for them or to be able to feel that they can just speak up you know often there's a one member that's quite dominant or domineering and one then becomes silent there are a lot of these dynamics that can happen and it's not healthy for us it's not healthy for us to just be either dominating or being dominated you know we can strive to sort of bring as much balance as we can to our relationships and you know the challenges are different depending on on your personality sometimes we need to learn to pipe down and be curious about our partner more and sometimes we've got to learn to really speak up and be be a bit brave and sort of really you know take up a bit more space so communicating and learning phrases that keep you sharing about yourself and, and keep kind of calling yourself and your partner out in really loving ways, I think are really, really important. So everything stays fresh and everything stays really above board and transparent. No, it's, it's a great way to do it because 
I think that's why a lot of people say, like, you know, you married your dad. Like your your mm-hmm. husband is this, like a because we look at what our parents had as a relationship, yeah. and unconsciously we've kind of a, accepted that as what is it, you know what a relationship is. Mm-hmm. So you see that a lot of people kind of they almost like date their parent in a weird way, and Absolutely. I. I and I see people who put up with partners and you think, how did they end up with that person? And it's yeah. because they've got into a situation where it's mirrored something that they've accepted as part of a relationship and they've just taken on that person where they could deserve far better. Mm-hmm. But in their head, they, they're like following the, the, the path of what a relationship mm-hmm. is. When do you actually think somebody should stop and say, is this for me? You know, when should we review a relationship and think, you know, like, okay, we've set this boundary, they've acted this way. We've asked for them yeah. to speak to us, like, say, weekly or, you know, respectively, and they're still doing this. We've said this behavior isn't for us, and they're still acting that way. When do we, when is a suitable time to stop and think, okay, am I getting what I need from this? Is this mm. worth my time? Is this worth my emotions, et cetera? When when's a suitable time to consider the merits of a relationship? Yeah, I mean it is it is a really difficult one, and you know we can have different motivations. You know, if we're married with children, we can be a lot more motivated to staying with someone and trying to make things work. You know, if we are you know young and have many options, you know maybe we'll be very motivated to just be walking out the door. It's kind of it depends on our personal circumstances. But as a sort of relationship therapist, obviously I'm very encouraging of trying to grow as a couple and to work on issues as long as they are not overtly abusive and completely you know uh, compromising to us on a very very basic level. Um, and so, you know, my answer to that is kind of years rather than months. I think that, you know, we can commit to to really giving ourselves a chance and the other person a chance. But um, we can also, I think, and I don't know if you ever encountered this in your CBT, there's like they talk about that we really only have three options in life. We can We can change, we can accept, or we let go. So we either have to do everything we can to change ourselves, the dynamic, what's going on, anything that we're not happy with, we can try to change that. And there's only so much we can do because we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. But that's what, you know, that's what a lot of life is. It's about changing our own behavior and growing. And that will change the relationship. That will change the dynamics. So we can try to change and we can try to keep keep growing if we realize that, you know, that's not really on offer with our partners and that's this is the way it is, we can ask ourselves, can I accept this? You know, is this a, is this a deal breaker? Is this a non-negotiable? Can I accept this person as they are? You know, can I accept them? And also can I love them as, as this is? If, if, if this person never changes and is always like this in this regard, can I still love this person? Can I, you know, move on and do that? And if not, then I have to really think about letting go. And, you know, obviously we all have different challenges because some people can stay too long and some people can bail too quickly. But, you know, that's our work. You know, we've all got different work to do. But I think asking ourselves those questions really challenges us to put the effort in and to, you know, to grow. 
but it also reminds us that we have an, uh, an, an obligation to ourselves to be able to let go of things that aren't right for us that are going to cause us too much pain. And is that why a lot of people like would cheat because they can't, they, they, their identity is built up into this relationship. You know, they've maybe put a lot of years in, they've got kids, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's actually easier to find an, an emotional, uh, you know, something to fill that emotional void outside the relationship, but maintain it to keep on that sense of self of being in a relationship, being married, etc. Is mm. you know, do you see a justification for why most people cheat? I know it's difficult for like a lot of people would say, well, they did this and I did that, or I I was working late with this person. But mm. as a therapist, do you see the emotional reasons? Do you see the behavioral reasons behind mm. why a lot of people cheat? Yeah, cheating has, I think, like all behavior, has a lot of emotions behind it and a lot of reasoning behind it. I think absolutely people are people in committed relationships want to be in committed relationships and um, the thought of leaving or disrupting a family unit for example can feel overwhelming and I remember actually going on um, some famous website that I can't remember now but um, it's one of these affair websites you know where you can go and you can um, I was on the Ashley Madison one yes I think I think it was that one like millions millions of subscribers or whatever you call it and you know their strap line is life is short have the affair and the um sort of testimonials at the bottom interestingly all women um say things like you know this has saved my marriage you know um it's great that I've done this because my needs are now met and I can go back to my family fulfilled and happy and not angry and resentful and you know it's it's very interesting it was fascinating for me to watch this kind of um way of coping so that is one way as you say there's sort of something that all right our, our identity is as a married person or a committed person and member of a family or whatever but equally you know again this this comes comes back to what we want from life you know we want a lot from life and it's difficult to be in unfulfilling relationships sexually or otherwise so there's that but, you know, cheating can also be a way of of trying to get out of a relationship, of sort of ejecting yourself from a relationship. And when the fidelity, when the infidelity, you know, becomes known, you know, often that person is left. And so it's it's a way of ending a relationship when we when we don't know how to end it. OK, well, um, well and that... it's also a way of sorry. I was going to say, so it's like their way of getting you to do the dirty work. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Absolutely, because we, you know, it, you, we're, we're forcing the other person's hand. We don't know what to do with, you know, and so again, this is just an unconscious way of sort of making something happen in a relationship. So that that happens a lot. That happens a lot. I've worked with a, a number of clients over the years, and it's materialized that one one of them is actually having an affair. This is after months, sometimes years of work on on the relationship, and the relationship's over and it's taken care of, and. I can sort of see that that's what that person wanted all along, but just couldn't do it and didn't want to be the one, et cetera. So that is a very strong, it's, you know, I, I see that quite a lot just anecdotally from my own practice. And then people, people will cheat for all sorts of other reasons as well, for opportunity, 
you know, for, you know, reclaiming something new and exciting or something youthful or often to feel desirable. Again, that's why I really encourage the people I work with to keep flirting and being playful and to prioritize sex because, you know, we stop um, we stop seeing our partners as humans and as sexual beings and as exciting people that we want to just shag all day long, you know, that they become irritants and they become sort of these annoying people around the house or whatever. And Mm -hmm. as humans, a lot of people, you know, it's really important for us to feel desired by others. So yeah, there's, I mean, that's a massive whole subject that we could talk about all night, probably about our podcast at its own. I mean, so when when we do have um, that moment of like, okay, no, we need to end this. This is not going anywhere. They've cheated or whatever it is. And we do have breakups. How do we learn from it? Because when I broke up with my first love 10, 11 years ago, whatever it was, I didn't do the work to move on. I'd be sitting there and I would hear people saying like, oh, she's dated somebody else and that would destroy me. And I I met her a couple of years later and she came and stayed, you know, like she was coming out for drinks and stuff. And she was saying, oh, I could go pull that guy at the bar while I do it. And I was thinking, how could you say that in front of me? And then she would say things later on. She was saying that she wanted to get back, but she was with me, but she was afraid my family hated her. And it was like, it was like an emotional roller coaster. So all this yeah. time I was thinking like, anytime she'd say this or do that, I was wrapped up in this emotional roller coaster, and I built up in my head all these feelings and thoughts and replayed mm-hmm. the bad stuff since the breakup or somebody saying, oh, she's a, a lot of people's exes when I said she had been my ex, like when I was saying, oh, she had met her. And I've never kind of moved on from it. So I've carried that mm-hmm. baggage for 10 years. How do we stop that happening for guys? How do we get to say and go, okay, I need to grow as a person. I want to learn from what it's taught me, but I need to put a block down here. I can still have feelings for them. I can still, whatever it is, but I cannot live my life like controlled by it because I've carried this into every other relationship. And I know plenty of other guys who judge you know the one that got away the the girl that did the number on how do we like how should we stop and go take the time to heal but not let this continue to actually become a better person to have a better relationship going forward with the next person who deserves better than probably oh well you're doing that because i noticed my ex did that and they're like but they're completely different people how do we give the next person a true chance, but also heal ourselves? That's a great question because it's so important. And I mean, the way you the way you describe this relationship, and I think we've all got relationships like this in our past, is that it sounds quite addictive in nature, mm-hmm. as you say. There were these highs and lows, and that is so compelling. And that literally imprints in into our attachment system. And as humans, we 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 imprint um, sort of challenging stuff, difficult stuff, like traumatic stuff, like an addictive relationship. We imprint that more strongly than a fulfilling, kind, nurturing, positive experience. And that could be a, just an experience in life, or it can be an experience in relationship. So we can get stuck in this place where 
not only are we remembering this challenging relationship, although exciting and full of highs and lows or kind of whatever, but we also, we don't see it accurately because it was an addictive relationship. We were treating each other like drugs and we we can be um, looking to someone else to choose us, to make us feel better or for them to sort of, you know, take away our feelings or for us to rescue them or them to rescue us. You know, these are some of the patterns that, that we can look at and we can be more realistic about in terms of what was actually going on here because what I experienced and what happened wasn't good for me and maybe it felt very exciting and very thrilling and I'm getting confused about what that chemistry actually was and that chemistry was actually really destructive to who I am as a person and if if that was happening in my life continuously that could probably cause quite big mental health problems for us all to try to be digesting and trying to sort of figure out so I think it's just about having doing that really difficult thing of taking something that's that's probably become quite a cherished memory, possibly in your own mind of what you thought it was. And this is actually a big um, trait of um, anxious attachment, which I you know I believe we have all the attachments in us. We have different relationships, and sometimes we can be avoidant, sometimes we can be anxious, and often we're we're a sort of a combination of the two but you know anxious attachment has a lot of yearning associated with it where we also idealize people we can put them on a bit of a pedestal and um, we can sort of we put them up up there and we put ourselves down here right and so they become these amazing people that once chose us and weren't we so lucky and God, if we could just get that back, how great that would then make us. And we can get very, very confused that, you know, and forget that we're all human and we're all flawed and we're all equal. There's no one better or worse than anyone else. And so that yearning, again, you know, we can look to our past and we can look to that relationship and we can look to that relationship even earlier about what's familiar to me, about wanting, 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 wanting something that I can't have or having something for a moment and then it being taken from me or a relationship being good and then it being disrupted and something happening. And we can recognize that there is something really probably big happening that's very, very, very very familiar to us that this relationship really tapped into. So again, it's sort of debunking the fantasy. You know, one of the key things about addictive relationships is that we live in fantasy this is how it's going to be. And, oh, this is how we're going to feel. And this person is like this. And our relationship's going to be like this. You know, we live in a fantasy and there's nothing better than that. That is, that's where the addiction lives. It's like, wow, <laughs> yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. Who wouldn't want that? So it's just about doing the painful work of realizing this is an addictive process. And I need to be careful because we're these aren't humans that we're talking about here. These are humans that are, hurting each other ostensibly and kind of treating each other like drugs and we need to be very careful and we can be reckless with one another and we can be quite offhand and there's a lot of stuff that goes on that can be I think really painful so there's that and there's really trying to understand why yearning is familiar to us and why we want to hold on to it we don't want to let it go We don't want to move on or we don't want to just, you know, have that happy memory of whatever that was and take the good from it and then move forward, believing we've got more of that to come. 
and that there's good stuff ahead, what's going on for us that we don't believe that? Is that about our self-esteem? Is that about our patterns? Is that about what was modeled to us from our family? It's kind of, does life get better as we as we progress or, or does it get more frightening or lonelier or, or, or what? And it's more about that, you know, it's more about us really taking responsibility for ourselves and believing in ourselves that we've got a lot of love to give, which you clearly do. And I can create something. This is all within my power. I can create something and I can attract amazing people and I can have really exciting moments in relationships. Why am I believing that that's not possible? Where on earth does that come from? Why is that something that I can't shake? So that would be some of my suggestions to you I and to that. anyone experiencing that. Because uh, when I when I look back, I'm like, oh, she was the first. I mean, she wasn't the first like person that like lost my virginity to or anything like that. But she was the first person that gave me like a sense of pride, a sense of like right. I felt like a sense of purpose, and I can see that in other people. And I, and when I'm seeing friends go through it, I'm, and I want to help them, but it's like, how do you how do you voice that to somebody? You know that they're using the person as an addiction i mean mm-hmm. i've never given other relationships really a chance because i've not got that initial high you know it's like the heroin addict it, their first high is never mm-hmm. that level it's never going to be the That's same funny. again and i still like struggle like in my head i'm like but how do i do that and i've and i think mm-hmm. that's the thing is i've built her into this imposable superhuman figure mm-hmm. that i can only get this from this person and when I see other people going through it, and I want to say to them, it's like, it does get better, but I still haven't done the work. So, I mean, what would you say to people going forward? Now, you know, what activities, what habit changes, what mm-hmm. things can we do as a single person after a breakup to start healing, but also to start living life again, to meeting people, mm-hmm. to being open to new relationships? Is it a way that, you would work with a client after a bad breakup to see their own sense of value to to get back on the horse so to speak Mm. well definitely and I think um, it sounds like anyone who was experiencing this and you know for those of us who do put people on on pedestals or are little fantasy addicts when it when it when it comes to relationships that awareness is really important so we can call ourselves out And it's great because we can use all our addiction language as well. And so in a way, we can we can really begin to detox from that relationship because we as long as we hold on to the fantasy and the idealizing, we're still giving ourselves our hit, you know, and even and even if it's painful, you know, it hurts so good. You know, that's what addictive relationships are about. You know, they, you know, the lows are as compelling as the highs and, you know, it kind of keeps us then quite alone. Like, you know, like, like a lonely addict would be ultimately, you know, the alcoholic is going to drink alone at home. They're not going to be out having fun being, you know, funny at the bar. They're going to be home alone drinking out of a vodka bottle. You know, that's what we can be like in our relationships as well. So having the awareness and allowing ourselves to just detox from all the stuff that we're believing, that we're thinking, that we're believing, that we're holding on to, that's really, really helpful. And a daily practice that I would definitely suggest is taking, you know, our capacity to be so 
adoring and noticing of the good and appreciative and seeing good things is to do that every single day. Do that with the people who are already in your life. And when you're pushing yourself to go out and meet people and do things and just be with your friends and be with anyone you can, train your brain to really start looking at every situation with kind of not more fantasy, but using the sort of the positives of that Mm. to bring gratitude and excitement back into your life in different ways. Because we are, we can sort of box off an earmark and put away something. And then we think, oh, well, that's where my excitement lives. And that's just so wonderful. And it's like, well, that's on us a little bit, because what have we done to create excitement or to create joy or to have uplifting um, experiences, you know, we're waiting for someone else to bring that into our life. And again, that's the thing. So we can rescue other people and we can also want to be rescued ourselves. And that's part of this kind of process a little bit. And what I'm saying is, is that we have the capacity to be really enthusiastic partners and really loving, passionate partners. And we've got to be that even when we're single. So I would sort of challenge someone to literally every day have a list of like minimum 20 things that are just crazy, joyous, fun, exciting, interesting, stimulating, Mm -hmm. sexy and exciting about the people in our life, about ourselves, about what we're doing, what we're working on to kickstart that part of us physically and emotionally that probably has checked out and is waiting for that to happen in some other kind of addictive relationship situation again. It's like we've got to we've got to liven ourselves up. We've got to wake up and get that heart pumping for for life and for ourselves. It makes a lot of sense because I think back like how much I still live the relationship rather than what's happening of all the good things. When I do a gratitude thing, like I do three things in the morning, and I try not to do like <laughs> the water. You know, like my brother was saying, you know, oh, I'm grateful for the, the water, the warm bed. I was like, no, I want things like, but it's small things, you know, it's like yeah. not having to go into the office or having a chance yeah. to prep for a guest or interview somebody amazing like yourself. But yeah. It's like, I'm also not taking advantage of all the good stuff in my life, you know, and I think that's something, yeah. you know, to leave the past to actually start embracing the fu- the, the present to create a better future by living in the mm-hmm. in the present how do you deal with then people who come to you and say i've looked at this this is fantastic i'm moving on but i regret like i think of how many events i went to that i mm-hmm. thought she might be at how many times i was afraid of mentioning certain names because i was afraid she might be brought into the conversation or how many times i've been in stuck in my head looking at couples and going oh, you know, I wish I had that. And she was the only one I even came close to marriage with. And how do we deal with the regret as we're moving on, where we realize how much time we've wasted? I mean, I think now I've never really given anybody else a chance. And I'm coming up to my 40th thinking, fuck, I've wasted my life. I've given up on kids. I've given up on marriage because it's too late. And now I know that it's completely silly because there's tons of people dating you know, but how do we deal with processing that regret and not mm-hmm. saying dwelling on it still, but deal with it so we can actually go on to the future in a better way? I know it's a big question, but no, no, but it's great because because I think the regret is part of the addiction. 
it's it's really mood altering regret i mean regret is regret is part of being human and it's sad and it's an important thing that we all have and that we all experience but what you're describing feels like it can become a block or it can become something that keeps us stuck or it's something that we can use to harm ourselves and hurt ourselves and berate ourselves that we should have done something differently or we've wasted time or etc it's kind of i think a part of regret that we don't allow is we don't allow the grief that goes with regret because regret is about loss regret is about is about something that may have happened could have happened but didn't happen or whether that was an action that we took or whether it was a relationship that took place we have to grieve because part of grieving is going through something and then ultimately the you know final stage of grief is acceptance or letting go or whatever it might be regret in in more of an addictive way can keep things alive in us it keeps it keeps pumping the body with the adrenaline of our self-hate or the kind of you know the sort of the pain of it all and that is like it is a little bit of an addictive process. It's mood altering. It keeps us down. It's probably very depressive in nature. You know, that can become something that we get addicted to, sort of hurting ourselves with that and feeling like we should and really putting, you know, the screwdriver in, in even deeper into our sort of tender hearts. So I think there's really something about just recognizing we can have emotions and it's really important to have emotions, but emotions are living and alive and they, and they have movement. And if after a period of time we feel like our emotions aren't moving, not like in light speed and we should just not ever have anything impact us, but if it's not teaching us, if it's not informing us, if it's not helping us move forward, then something else is kind of going on and that is then where we're getting stuck in a cycle or an addictive process or a self-harming process even. So it's kind of let's allow our feelings and let's, but let's be structured with them. Let's allow ourselves to grieve. Let's, let's experience what's going on, which is we're getting older and we've got to start making decisions about the life that we want. And how do we take responsibility for that? Because I think part of regret and part of, the pain that goes with it is that it can keep us stuck and it keeps mm. us ironically not moving forward and not making the right choices for ourselves and being courageous when we need to be courageous because we've got so much regret and self-recrimination. We are sort of doing ourselves down rather than bigging ourselves up and really believing in ourselves and putting ourselves out there and really wanting to sort of do our best. Regret will make us feel the worst and therefore then take away our, our, our motivation and keep us quite down. So I think it's just about being really honest with ourselves and noticing what we're doing. Is this constructive? Is this loving? Is this likely to get me wh where I want to go? And keep focused on that. So it's a case of feeling it, but not reacting daily not jumping on the the roller coaster of it but then actually writing out what you're what you're grateful for try find a new tribe get you know yeah that makes a lot of yes. sense i mean i wasn't even aware of like addicting relationship but it makes so much sense it's almost like a like a drug addict needing that fix i'm using yeah. that as my high right yeah, chasing that first high yeah that's it 
Jeez, that makes, that's terrifyingly makes all this is why I think your work <laughs> this is why your work's so phenomenal because as I keep going into it, I keep finding stuff and going, oh my god, that makes so much sense. And I see that in my personal life, never mind my dating life, and that oh, that makes sense of why I see that in these kind of people. And it's how do you want people to follow your work? How do you want them to kind of use this going forward? Mm-hmm. Is it a case of going on, downloading the you know, your history workbook, your relationship mm-hmm. guides, doing the journaling questions? How do you want people to use your work going forward? Because you've, you've got so much amazing stuff. Where, how should we start this? Apart from signing up to the newsletter and things like that, how do mm. we? How do you want people to work with you going forward? I think um, the best thing to do to get the most out of the work is I've uh, on my website. I've created a sort of a therapy journey that that people can go on, and it's just a number of articles and and videos where it really covers, I guess, what we call a lot of psychoeducation about how do we as humans work, how do relationships work, and what, how, do, how, do, how does our past live in us, what do we bring to our, our relationships, what are the traps we fall into with our relationships, what are our attachment styles, why does it matter? So it really takes everyone through to sort of, in a way, get a really a foundational understanding of what on earth is happening in our relationships and why we're doing what we're doing. And I think that can be kind of really groundbreaking because it's suddenly like demystifying, like, okay, mm. it's actually kind of obvious what I am doing. And so we have that knowledge and we can do the relationship history to help us understand our patterns more. And I've got all these videos that kind of hopefully make it all seem quite um, cohesive. And then from there to just kind of follow me on Instagram, because I think what I do posting every day is just giving us the reminders and the focus that we need every day on like, who who are we being in our relationships? Who do we want to be? You know, where are we putting our efforts? These are all the traps that we fall into. Have you fallen into them? You know, we need the daily work, the daily Mm. effort of just staying keeping our head above the water because it's so easy to drown in our negativity in the past and all the stuff that's gone on and, you know, the stuff that's going to sort of sadly keep happening unless we're really putting the effort in to do something differently. Because the problems are fantastic. But next year as well, I'm going to create an online course where people can be even more kind of um, involved in doing things and whether it's with your partner or as an individual it can be a consolidation of all my teachings in a really um super um structured and um, consolidated way so they can you know people can have a sense of okay i can do this course and i can really learn about myself and my relationships and know what i need to be working on so i'm excited to be launching that early next year i'll definitely be signing up for that because i need a lot of help And I think that's the great thing about the prompts is it reminds, it just gives you a daily reminder to mm-hmm. kind of stop and go, no, don't follow that pattern. Okay, rise above yeah. it, look at, look at, you know, look above it and sort of understand what you're doing and see what it, where it's coming from and how you, what you need to deal with and the motions and it is, it's fantastic. I mean, I, like we were discussing before, I, I think you're like, you should be doing TED Talks, you should be writing books, you should be giving speeches to kids, uh, like to shape the young people, to teach them about how mm. to have healthy relationships. There's so much more. How, 
what do you want people to take from this? I know we're way over our time. I'm really sorry for our, <laughs> any other appointments and things. But until I can get you on to do another one to, you know, really get um, to promote other things and to really discuss even sort of deeper things. But what do you want people to take from this? What would you like them to take as a sort of go home message? I think my go home message is is love is a beautiful thing and the vast majority of us don't know what love is or how to get the love that we want and the things that we do for love sadly are actually not the things that are going to get us love mm-hmm. and so i really enjoy challenging people's ideas about what they're doing and what they think that love is it's like we're all chasing something we all have some ideal of what we want and we don't actually know what's going to make us happy most of us so i just love the idea of just exploring this idea of love what is love because right now in our world there's so much pain in our relationships and there's so much disappointment and sadness and there's so much bitterness and anger and you know we've lost our way a little bit with with our love affairs and with what love can be in our life mm-hmm. and so i really like to challenge people to really love wholeheartedly and what does that mean and how do we get there and how do we get that from other people so you know my message is, is don't give up on yourself really be open to challenging everything that you know about yourself and relationships so something totally new and spectacular can reveal itself I love it. I truly believe your stuff is life changing. You're phenomenal, and the stuff you're doing is helping so many people. And I love the fact that you've got me thinking about my relationships. You've got me understanding who I am as a person. And I think all guys really should be doing this as much as girls to truly understand why we are mm. the way we are. How do you want people to keep in touch with you? You know, I mean, how do we find you on social media? How do we connect with an Instagram? Can you get, like, what's your social media handles, your website, et cetera? Okay. Well, my best one uh, to get me on is Instagram. I try to be as present as possible. I respond to as many comments as I can. I love it when people ask me questions. I do kind of, you know, question and answers very, very regularly. And so you can find me at Sharice Cook which is C-H-A-R-I-S-S-E-C-O-O-K-E, quite an unusual name. Mm-hmm. So it's at Sharice Cook is my Instagram handle. And my website is sharicecook.com and everything is there, you know, all the free resources, the whole therapy journey, the relationship history, all my videos, everything lives on the website. So if you're really wanting to kind of dig deep, It's all for free. It's all completely available just on my website to just work your way through the website that I've really given everything I can to that to really bring everything I've taught, everything I've learned, everything that, you know, relationship work is all about from my perspective lives on the website. So that's definitely worth a look. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. 
If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.